Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. We all want to do something to help Ukraine. We've seen the damage. Particularly infrastructure is a big deal, including roads, buildings, water sources all getting damaged by the Russian invasion. Well, Mikhailo Fedorov, the Minister of Digital Transformation, came up with an idea. Using social media, he says, Everyone wants Putin to die. Until this happens, we give Ukrainians and the whole world a unique opportunity to send Putin to Jupiter. Donate $2.99 for a rocket, and all funds will be directed to the restoration of the destroyed infrastructure. That's right, the fundraising ask is, if you hate Putin, you can send him to Jupiter, but in reality, we're going to take that money and spend it on roads and pipes and things to actually help the people of Ukraine. Target goal for the social media fundraising campaign, send Putin to Jupiter, $100 million. As of this morning, $2 million. Not too shabby. I do think maybe the folks in Ukraine are missing an opportunity here, though. This has all the makings of the next great digital cryptocurrency, right? You've got the to the Jupiter catchphrase already built in. Possible names roll right off the tongue like Putin Jupiter coin. But back to traditional currency, as Newsweek does, a little bit of number crunching. And it looks like the one trip we know of to Jupiter was going to cost about $1.1 billion. That's the Juno mission. Of course, the Juno mission didn't carry any Russian dignitaries over to a foreign planet, and you didn't have food, and it travels really fast, 165,000 miles an hour. The space shuttle, by comparison, about one-tenth that speed. So if we were going to actually fund a mission to Jupiter carrying Putin or maybe the remains of Putin, it'd probably take about 100 years, and it might cost several billion dollars. Then again, the Putin mission would probably be half that since we're not really funding a return trip. In the meantime, donate online and you can help repair the roads and the water pipes. As the world roughly approaches the two-year mark of the COVID-19 pandemic, you're seeing changes across the board in how governments are handling this uh, in the United States. Of course, a lot of places that had been very emphatic about control measures and mitigation and mandates regarding mask wearing and vaccines are lifting them. New York City Newsweek recently reported a stronghold for COVID mandates has announced plans to lift restrictions in coming weeks. Uh, several of your states are doing the same thing. Cases, of course, post-Omicron have plummeted. Hospitalizations have plummeted across the U.S. And even the death reports, which always lag a little bit behind, have also fallen pretty substantially over the last several weeks since Omicron passed through. The question remains, how do people feel about all of this? Well, Washington Post and ABC News did a poll, and they asked people, how much under control do you think the COVID-19 pandemic is right now? 49% of participants in the poll said that they think it is somewhat under control. 27% said mostly under control. And 6% said completely under control. That adds up to a whopping 82% of those surveyed said that the pandemic is mostly, somewhat, or completely under control. 15%, on the other hand, say that it's not at all under control. And uh, 3% wanted to know what COVID-19 was. About 21% of polled participants say their lives have returned completely to normal, and a majority of participants say that they've mostly returned to pre-pandemic standards. 
So what does all this mean for politicians? Well, as you see, many of them are lifting the restrictions. They're seeing uh, the CDC's guidance has changed on this, opening up to not having to wear masks on, for example, school buses or in areas where you don't see dense infections. And mostly at this point, it seems to be a question of party affiliation. The same poll indicated that Democrats are more likely to be the ones concerned about it not being under control, or at least more concerned that the goal should not be returning to normal, but should instead be controlling the spread, whereas Republicans more likely favor the effort of getting back to normal as opposed to being too worried about controlling the spread at this point. And finally, what do you know about Tasmanian tigers? Well, if you've never heard of them, they're a very fascinating animal. They sort of have the body shape of a hyena with a tiger stripe pattern, a very vivid tiger stripe pattern on the rear haunches. In reality, it's a lot closer in type to the Tasmanian devil because it's a marsupial. It's not a canine. They sort of seem like dingoes as well, which is a relatively uh, close ancestor, but they've been extinct. For almost 100 years, the last living Tasmanian tiger was uh, in captivity and died in 1936. There's a couple of clips running around on YouTube you can see for yourself. We've got one over at Newsweek, so you can see it. Well, now, researchers have been working on, are you ready for this? De-extincting the Tasmanian tiger. A process that involves a complicated set of things with stem cells and embryos and surrogate animals basically mean that a la Jurassic Park... They're trying to reconstitute from an embryo a Tasmanian tiger that could then maybe thrive in the wild. And these were apex predators. They went extinct about 3,000 years ago in Australia. They were cut off into Tasmania where they lived until hunters killed them all over the subsequent years, European settlers basically, until the last one died in captivity in 1936. But they serve a really important part in the ecosystem down in Australia historically which actually is why they're thinking about de-extincting them because of that valuable role they play. Obviously, this is long-term off-research. It's maybe 10 years in the future. It's going to take a lot of money. But in the meantime, I give you this helpful hint. If, say, a decade from now, you find yourself wandering the backwoods areas of Australia and you're trying to identify a sound that you've heard and you want to know whether it might be the newly reconstituted or de-extincted Tasmanian tigers, here's a hint. If you hear this sound... That's a hyena. If you hear this sound, that's a Siberian tiger. If you hear this sound, that's a close cousin, the Tasmanian devil. And if you hear this sound, well, that's a cartoon character. And if it's something other than those, you might have heard a de-extincted species. That's it for The Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. And consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek. Newsweek.